Subprime Directive. A Federation protocol stating, all Starfleet logs are subject to analysis, comparison, praise, and judgment. The following recordings are of senior officers exercising their duty to enforce the Subprime Directive. Hello, comrades, officers, civilians, etc., and welcome to Subprime Directive, a podcast where we talk about Star Trek. Very, very new concept, I know, but we do it our own way, and uh, I'm here to introduce everybody. I'll start with myself. I am acting interim temporary captain in training, <laughs> Dustin. Uh, I am... Uh... Commander Cam, I am personally responsible for uh, creating synthetic flavors that taste like Klingon food. So if you taste in gak, it's your boy. <laughs> I guess I chose the episode today, so that makes me uh, comms officer Blair. Ooh. Hey. Uh, my name is Nola, and I uh, I'm just a freighter captain. That's it. <laughs> I just I just hold. Uh, Deuterium. Back and oh, forth. It's a valuable cargo. Yeah. <laughs> Back and forth. And Actually, it's real, too. That would be scary. Not Nausicans would for sure like board your ship if you had deuterium, right? I mean, it's like really, yeah. I don't know if they know what to do with it. Yeah, if you could, if you didn't smell them coming a mile away. <laughs> do you uh do you have any self sealing stem bolts though? Uh no. Because uh, we can that's... trade them. Yeah, I got. I'm not the... about to replicate any either. I got the, all this Yamek sauce I can't get rid of. <laughs> uh, so today we're talking about The Menagerie Part 1 from TOS Season 1, Episode 11. This is arguably the first half of arguably one of the most iconic original series episodes. Blair chose the episode. You say You say it's iconic, yet nobody in this wore a Nazi uniform, and there was no giant cat, so... Maybe you might want to reconsider that assessment. Hey, look, look, this is, look, look, yeah, uh, Pike, Pike crawled so Spock could goose step. <laughs> His hands look like this, so ours can look like this. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we didn't prepare a full synopsis. Blair, can you give me, uh, do you know what an elevator pitch is? Have you heard of this before? I'm familiar with the concept. Um, I want you to try your best to pitch Menagerie part one well with studio execs all i'd have to say is human zoo and it'd just be done yeah <laughs> i think that i got one what... of those myself <laughs> <laughs> i think that is what gene said by the way <laughs> I, I have i i film a human zoo i'm daring it's a lot of evidence to be making <laughs> there it is i like it wait what year was this again what year was this episode 1966 Damn, this this and the Twilight Zone are like like that's good TV like they're right at the same time pretty much. Oh yeah, it gets real bad in a decade, but like right now it's real good. <laughs> well, it, yeah, exa- yeah, it was um, by by seventy five. You're fucked. You're not. Well, but if good. you think about it, the um, the episode, the cage, the pilot was filmed in sixty five. Yo, a- adult television died in the seventies so that the Muppets could happen. <laughs> <laughs> um. So. 
so this episode is sort of a not sort of it is a repackaging of the initial pilot of star trek the cage which famously had a different captain captain pike a hotter captain a hotter captain but a less funny captain (laughs) yeah way less corn fed yeah um and so they literally reused the footage for from the cage to hold spock trial for trying to get the fuck back to valos 4 yeah i wonder if this is this is i wonder if this is sci-fi's first clip show episode Ooh, arguably so yeah i also wonder if they brought back uh what's his name sorry uh who's the guy that played him uh, they didn't uh, pike oh yeah it's, it's a actor. different guy in the makeup Oh, okay. I was wondering if they brought back the guy that played Pike just to like tell him to suck it because he quit after the pilot. <laughs> yeah, well, because I was thinking it's like, wow, it's like, yeah, it's like as the as the show, you know, actually got off the ground, you know, like, Pike's being a pretty good sport, but no, different guy. <laughs> That's really funny because uh, I was reading into why he quit, and so CBS, not CBS, NBC rejected the pilot after they loved it. Apparently, they like. The rumor is is that they they stood up and clapped after they watched the cage. They they had never seen anything like it. They thought it was amazing, but then they still rejected it. It took six hundred thousand dollars to make the cage, right? Which in today's money is four point two million dollars. So it had a huge debt on its head to start with. So basically, NBC said, "All right, we'll give you another try. We want another pilot, but we want some things different." And so Roddenberry and his team came back with a new pilot and said, okay, you're greenlit to shoot this. And Jeffrey Hunter said, no, I don't want to do this. I'm going to be a star. And <laughs> and he never said this directly, but what happened was at the premiere of The Cage, like studio, like at the Chinese theater at the premiere, he didn't show up, but his wife did. And someone interviewed his wife and they were like, why didn't Jeffrey come? And why are we hearing that he's not going to continue to be part of Star Trek now that it's greenlit? And she was like, Jeffrey's a star and this is beneath him. (laughs) And they never heard from Jeffrey Hunter again. And then in comes Captain James T. Kirk, played by Shatner, who was already second in line. And Shatner just replaced him to start with the man trap and the rest is history. So Hunter uh, fucked up. (laughs) This is all uh, fucking news to me. I didn't know about any of this shit. Twilight Zone is 59 to 64, so it's like right before this. Yeah, Shatner was already a name. He wasn't a nobody. He was done filming something else by the time the pilot was done, and they were just like, hey, Bill, you want to do this? And he's like, hell yeah, I want to do this. Uh, I, have, I have a fun fact about that. The show he was filming was that cop show he was on that I can't think of the name. Uh, oh, TJ Hooker. Hey. <laughs> Wait, I have a question. Where did Roddenberry get the equivalent of four point whatever million dollars to make the fucking pilot? Does anyone know uh, Nazi gold? I mean, he had a bunch of well, like he had a bunch of Hollywood friends already. Like, wasn't he, he a was cop? A pretty, he was, what, where the fuck is he coming from? He was a cop, wasn't he? Isn't that yeah, true? I thought so. God, that's uncomfortable. But like, yeah, it's been a while <laughs> since I've been down that Wikipedia <laughs> hole. <laughs> <laughs> 
Is that why Oda's in Star Trek? <laughs> that's the that's how they paid the ultimate tribute to Roddenberry. They're like, they're like, we'll put someone in here who's mostly concerned with protecting private property, even at the expense of uh, Bajoran lives. <laughs> yeah, it's just a this is just a Roddenberry biopic that's been extrapolated into, uh, you know, multiple forms. <laughs> Well, here's the thing. I haven't seen Menagerie Part 2. I'm saving myself. Yo, what the fuck? <laughs> You're saving yourself for marriage? Yeah. Wait, have for, you... For Menagerie Dustin, or, Part uh, 2. Cam, have you seen the second part? I blew right through it. I'm not oh, okay, stopping. Oh, okay, okay, okay. You think okay. I have that kind well, of self-control? So only Dustin doesn't know then. Later I'll <laughs> let y'all know what I think uh, is going to happen in Part 2 since I've seen the cage and I know what happens in the story, but I know that there's... I'm sure there's a fucking twist. Before we, get, before we get into the meat of this shit, I just want to ask y'all a question. Um, so, so, the ladies of the original series all have these fucking tight, short skirts and, like, boob-crushing scenarios. Yeah, you don't mean tight as in cool. You mean tight as in, like, physically. I mean tight as in, like, how do you yeah. not show your vagina to people when you... Hi- like... Highly sexualized and almost yeah. grotesque manner. And, yeah, and my wife came in with no context and was like, what the fuck are you watching? And uh, just, like, scoffed and walked away with, like, uh, this is classic, like, 1960s misogyny. And it is, for sure. But it would be so much more fun if one of you could make a argument that it's something different than that. Oh, I won. Don't look at me. I'm not going to make that <laughs> I'm not going to argue against that. Uh, what I'll say, I guess, is that it seems like it might have been a trade-off for producers to allow more women to be in commanding roles. I don't know. There's a fucking boardroom of producers in the 60s, and they're like, all right, and there's three women on the command bridge, and they're like, hold on, three women on the command bridge? You gotta bridge. get a and couple like, of broads in like, short skirts. But, <laughs> but they're gonna be wearing real Don short skirts. Mellow. It'll be real hot. And they're like, all right, I'll give it a try. And then they're like, all right, we're gonna give them like important lines and important jobs, and then they just have to wear this stupid, skimpy outfit while they're an important part of the plot line, you know? Yeah, I mean, because that would be my, I guess that would be my trade-off, like, I guess that would be the only way I could argue in favor of it would be to say that it's like, like especially I think I feel like especially sci-fi of the time is going to have that kind of exploit exploitation maybe feel to it with a lot of the clothing and it's like, it's going to have that. It's just they're also you know recognized as as you know important officers and you know capable professionals, uh, so it's like. I guess it's like the I guess the progressive aspect of it is like oh this is going to, like this is how it's going to be it's going to, and, you know you have examples like Angry Red Planet which is just hideous misogyny all the way down or and you know it's, or you have Star Trek where it's like, you know, it's like the misogyny is there and they're competent well, hold on though hold on you y'all y'all keep saying that as if women do anything in this episode women do almost nothing in this episode. They like well, to stand episode, around yeah. and, and go like like oh here's your paperwork admiral and like, <laughs> it's like in that that first one when that woman when you go to that planet and that woman's there that shit is like awful like she you get like that really glossy close up on, on her for like forever and then she's basically like oh Kirk are you, are you down to fuck like oh no we got to go talk to the admiral and then she's like admiral are you down to fuck oh like 
Like, like oh, what's that? I don't know what a radio encryption is. It's just like, what the fuck? Don't ask me. I'm just a girl. <laughs> She's like a 1950s secretary. What the fuck are you doing, Gene? This is supposed to be the future. It's supposed to be a utopia, you motherfucker. Yeah. This is another in the canon of why this is not a utopia. Um, uh, if I have to be in the unfortunate position of trying to defend this, which I don't agree with. I think it's uh, pretty misogynist. But if I were to say... If you have one, to be in the position you've created for yourself. If I'm <laughs> to, going to, to be start. in this position that I created for myself, it's going to be... Uh, in the future, you, you don't even know how women have been empowered by their sexuality. So maybe they're owning this shit. And that, that, is what, that is what DS9 does. In, in Tribbles and Tribulations, when they go back, Jedzia... Yeah, put a guy in the dress, right? No, no, that's next-gen. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. No, no, uh, Jedzia is, like, very, like, like, like owning it. Like, she's very, like, like in, in control of her, like, femininity and everything. Which, like, I, I mean, it's, like, okay. But, but then also, as it's going to come up in the next episode, this show cannot stop making Orion Slave Girl jokes for, like, uh, all five fucking franchises. They literally... These writers just could not stop doing it. They just yeah, couldn't stop. No doing one can it. resist these these broads. Well, it, <laughs> it it comes down to the reality that what Star Trek did to start out in the '60s was to make people start thinking about equality in a very very passive way. Um, that was still just it's still catering to straight white men and all and all firing on all cylinders with that, you know, like it, that's, that's all it was catering towards. And so, yeah, yeah. It's like, here's an Orion slave girl. Also, have you heard about like galactic socialism? It makes me think about how (laughs) Nichelle Nichols like wanted to quit and MLK literally told her at a dinner, like this is important. And I, I think it's important that you're in this show and I'll leave you with that. I love I love you on it and do what you will with that. I don't know. Like she's you, so you know what, badass. You know what the thing though, I gotta say? Like not not to be that person who's gonna keep fighting back, but it's like like the problem is all of this has become so like mythologized that like the original mm-hmm. series is like is this big sacred cow that like like I don't know, it's just like like I treat it like I treat like any of the series. Like like I mean Voyager makes I mean, that's a, a topic for another episode, but there are choices that Voyager makes where I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? And I mean the writers. Like, there are choices the writers make where it's like, oh my god. Like... <laughs> so I want to, yeah, so I want to talk about this clip because in the cage, here's a little pretext. In the cage, Spock was cast as a more minor character. And he was shown as more emotional sometimes. Um, so when they recast again with James T. Kirk, they got rid of uh, Majel Barrett. They got rid of her as number one. And then they mo- they folded her cold calculativeness into Spock's character. They basically told Leonard Nimoy, you are going to absorb this character into your character as a Vulcan. So when we're <laughs> watching Menagerie, it is... A res- it's a it's honestly the first solidification of Vulcan culture outside of what was initially kind of vague for the first several episodes. So I think this clip we're about to show is a good example of them in the writing being like, we're declaring what Vulcans are. These so. are the rules. <laughs> so here we go. 
was one of two things. Either someone sent a message diverting us here, or someone on Lighting board the ship lied better. about receiving it. Could that someone be Mr. Spock? Jim, forgetting how well we both know Spock, the simple fact that he's a Vulcan means he's incapable of telling a lie. He's also half human. And that half is completely submerged. To be caught acting like us or even thinking like us would completely embarrass Someone's him. interfering with my command and my ship. I don't know who it is, but I mean to find out. Even you. If I thought you had the technical know-how, I'd suspect you, but you don't. Spock does. He would not make a Burn. false entry. There's a false entry in the log right he now, which doesn't jive with the established facts. How do you explain that? I can't, but to question Spock of all people. Me, yes. I could run off half-cocked given a good reason. So could you, but not Spock. That's impossible. I'd suspect you if you weren't some idiot doctor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Why are you on my it's ship so again? Good. I, I love that he said run off half cock because, like, I'm going to uh, move that into my vocabulary. Speaking I... of cock, I was thinking about Bones Naked and I didn't like it. What? <laughs> it's not the word. No, I somebody brought this up on Twitter today. In the same episode on DS9, we find out that he's very able with his hands and will hook a girl up. Whoa. And I, think, I think that is, I think that's A+. Plus. I think, hell yeah, Bones. I was about to say, yeah. any, doc any doctor that couldn't be able with their hands is, I don't trust them as a yeah, doctor. He can be ugly and fuck. I'm just saying, he looks ropey. <laughs> I couldn't ropey. find the clip. Um, I couldn't find the clip, but Bones is lying because Seven and Nine and Tuvok are in a shuttle and she asks him, she says, like, you know, like, can you, you can't lie. Lie. And he says, no, Vulcans are capable of lying, but I have never found it prudent to say a lie. Mm. I mean, and then, and the same thing to Paul says in um, in one of the episodes, too, that uh, Vulcans have feelings. They've just suppressed the feelings. Um, but Bones, uh, the foremost medical expert of his day, somehow doesn't know this. <laughs> <laughs> or no, OK, so I guess chronologically. Well, to Paul would be first. It, yeah, to Paul's first. But like. In fairness, even at that point, it's it's a common misconception. Mm. That's so, true. That's true. I don't think he's. I don't think he's. I don't think he's lying. I just think. Uh... Jim, Jim, a Vulcan can't lie. <laughs> Jim, honestly, Bones seems kind of gin soaked <laughs> to me. I like him as a kind character. of. <laughs> <laughs> he's very um, nervous and chaotic. Yeah, he's and, like, he, and he is sometimes, but this episode he's very rattled. Like, frankly, well, Jim, I'm having delirium tremens. <laughs> there's a, to be fair, there's a lot going on with the ship. Like, yeah. Spock is being a fucking madman, <laughs> and nobody knows why. He's, he's, yo, he that guy, that poor guy that's working like this, that. This he just, he just, yeah, the guy that's just doing his job at like the starbase. Doing my job, sir. <laughs> well, hi, Mister Spock. <laughs> I do oh, think that the yeah the the guy that tries to stop Spock from inserting all of the floppy disks uh that was some pretty good single shot choreography for that time. It was pretty decent. Yeah, he's very Leonard is. I was talking to someone on Twitter today about um reunion the TNG episode and like Leonard always gives it like a hundred and ten percent. Like he never came in. Like that's why I think I, I like him the most out of any of all of them, um with the exception of maybe Yahura. It's just like he always came in like just like. Like, I'm taking this deadly seriously. Um, whereas I can't always say the same for all the rest of them. <laughs> wait, what is, um, Blair, you had, wait, have, who, I have not seen T uh, TOS episodes, like, regularly. I've only seen a smattering of them. Like, have you, Dustin or Blair, like, you watched up to the Menagerie? Like, like, as if you were, like, a viewer at home when it was airing? 
Um, I skipped around a little bit, uh, but I've I've seen pretty much all of them. Okay. When you read in the description, it, yeah, it's like a tr- a troop of Shakespearean players are on a murder <laughs> spree. Yes, that that one's harder to play on for me. So, but like, <laughs> I'd say I I've been sort of quick study watching the first season a bit leading up to this. I haven't watched all of it. Um, but I will say what's really interesting about season one is that it is truly an amal like a collection of sci-fi concepts that will be endlessly explored by future Trek in other forms in season one where Kirk gets split into a passive and an active self. That's a premise to, you know, the Voyager episode where Tuvok and Neelix get put together into one. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's just using the, the well, and when Bolana gets uh, divided into uh, Klingon. And, yeah. And that's, that's yeah, literally about that. Yeah. Episode. That faces, right. Yeah. That one's yeah, literally faces. a revamp of the enemy within. Honestly, one of my favorite episodes though. Oh, it's so fucking so good. Fucking it's my, good. it's my number one easily. It's my number one. From what I, I see in Menagerie is that they by this point, they're aware that they are doing something unprecedented that has a lot of potential, so they wanted to find a way to, like, solidify the world. Well, I, I was just looking up, because I was like, when did, when did uh, like, Balance of Terror come out? And I was, like, looking it up, and that's episode 14. So what the, if you're, like, if you're your average Joe American, or um, whatever, and you're sitting, you know, at home, and, like, you're watching the show, what the fuck do you think Spock is doing, like... It must, it must be, like, incomprehensible because, like, you don't think he's a Vulcan or, or, I mean, a Romulan or anything. It's just like, what the fuck is Spock up to? Knocking people out? <laughs> playing, playing fake tapes? Like, oh, oh, yeah, like, you kind you know the rules. I'm like, um, like, I mean, you, you know who a Vulcan is by this point if you're watching chronologically, you know? Like, and it is, it is, I mean, you're saying what the fuck because he's acting not like himself. That planet that that starbase is on. Sorry, just this is a real quick thought. That planet that starbase on is is fucking wild looking. It's crazy. It looks like a hallucination. It's it's really cool. Yeah, that's actually one thing I had in my notes that I did want to talk about is like these. I mean, the matte paintings are present oh throughout the, are, are present throughout Star Trek. But I love the environment oh, in the original Chef's series. TS, TOS looks amazing. It looks like, really good. Like it has like this kind of like I mean I don't know which has which is I guess Star Trek has kind of like a weird tale you know the weird tales almost aesthetic, and I'm sure they borrow from each other you know. But uh, I think it's this beautiful kind of now camp but like sci-fi aesthetic that is like you don't I mean that is completely gone. I, I watch I watch all of these on my uh, my like digital projector and uh, TOS looks the best by far. Well, I mean maybe because it's been like really well remastered, but like, but it just looks the best because that lighting is really fucking good. Um, the they they shoot in a very cinematic way, which is what the Twilight Zone did as well. They didn't shoot like how TJ Hooker would be shot, you know, <laughs> like they shot like like cinematically. So it just looks amazing. Um, when they go to Talos Four, unfortunately, on my projector screen, I, I did see uh, the little like wires holding those floating leaves. Oh, up. But, but you that's know, the, that's what can you I do? I love that. I love. It looks that good. Stuff, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's great. It looks need good. To suspend disbelief hard. And then that little that little <laughs> plant that they look at together, and they're like, "Oh, look at how cute this." Yeah, plant the dingley is. plant. We all. Love yeah, 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 yeah. I love that. They're just dingley like, plant. Oh, let's touch the plant. This is cute. We're having fun. <laughs> <laughs> 
Does anyone, Dustin? Do you know? Does anyone know where Talos Four is? Like on the map? On the on the? Um, I don't know where it is on the. I don't know where it is on the map. All I know is that it is the only uh accidentally explored planet in the Talos cluster. Um, two, I believe it's two light years from Starbase Eleven, which means you could probably like if you Googled it, you could probably find it pretty well, pretty mm. accurately. Oh, I actually do have a, a real fact. Uh, I had er, goof ones earlier, but I have a, a true one. Um, so I'm a nerd and I was doing uh, like reading on how warp engines work because I mean, Voyager, it comes up a lot and I've been on a Voyager watch. So I wanted to like read on it and they leave it in this. But Dustin, I'm sure, you know, from watching the cage in the pilot, there's like a different it's a time warp factor, which they don't really explain how that works or what it is. But like, I, from what I was reading, it's something that involves more than just space. It involves like time as well. Like, like you're because because the way warp travel works is you're going between like between space essentially. You're going like in subspace. You're moving and, the space around you. Yeah, you're not yeah. moving. Yeah. And 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 I guess like with time warp, it's much more of like it's much more complicated because they have the like the time warp factor, which is like because they say it as if it's like a like a thing you have to meet. Like I don't know if it's in this or if I read it, but they basically say like we have a time warp factor of like four, I guess kind of, which like. It, it just conjures up more complex calculations or whatnot. Whereas like the Trek we know, it's just like a car. They're just like, well, I'm just going to go to speed warp nine. And actually this shows up in the cage um, where near the beginning when they're like, all right, let's go to the planet. Um, you're watching Pike over the shoulder of the, of the pilot. And the pilot is using mm-hmm. his hands. He pantomimes seven with his hands to say he's at warp seven and there's a much more like very intense humanistic like me- like meticulousness to how it's quickly a calculation yeah how quickly it, they're moving into another part of space so that they don't disturb their own time basically their own time distortion this is the one part this is the one part where i agree with the fucking like lizard producers like this is the only thing where i'm like the because war- warp is just it needs so- to be like a car yeah exactly yeah yeah because warp is like when you watch like a lot of voyager or like a lot of tng it's like warp is just like such an e- it, it, like you know mechanically how it works in this fake world and everything else is fine you know it's like you know that they're like zipping around yeah water's wet ways. the sky's blue like <laughs> <laughs> water's wet the sky's blue enterprise can't beat warp factor two <laughs> <laughs> Hard cut to DS9 where they're on the Defiant and Warp just like talking about Orion's marriage, which comes yeah, up they, a lot. They're, of just, they're just like they're just like in Warp Seven, like <laughs> chilling, talk, like talking shit about Keiko and O'Brien. Yeah. How's your sex life, like, <laughs> Brian, Why are you such a deeply miserable individual? <laughs> you have a family. Oh, if you'd see the things I've seen and done the things I've done. Yeah. Well, most. I mean, most. Uh, most reports of ghosts are actually just people on the Enterprise talking into the war, into the time war oh, yeah. <laughs> before they knew what it did. There you go. There you go. I mean, that is true with Data's friend. <laughs> it's like literally true. Okay, so I want to show this clip of Kirk and uh, Mendez pulling one over on Spock and appealing to Spock's loyalty here. This was a really good clever stunt by two commanding officers of uh exhausting their shuttle to the point of oh I, that was awesome <laughs> to get them laughing. to get them to pick them up two hours of oxygen left wonderful part of me is hoping that the enterprise won't come back for us we step on that deck spock is finished court-martial disgraced 
He's dead. If he makes it to Talos IV, why would he want to get Pike there? The command report stated Talos contained absolutely no practical benefits to mankind. Spock would have some logical reason for going there. Maybe. Maybe he's just gone mad. Computer control. Lock on to shuttlecraft following us. Locked on. Tractor beam ready. Go to tape Abel 7 Baker. Execute instructions. This is the captain, Mr. Spock. This is the first officer speaking. Security, send an armed team to the bridge. Transporter room, stand by to beam Captain Kirk aboard. Effective until then, Lieutenant Hansen is in operational command. Sir? First officer out. Doctor, as senior officer present, I present myself to you for arrest. What? The charge is mutiny, doctor. If you don't pick me up in the shuttle, because I know you know it's me, I will fucking die out here. And I will die about this because fuck you, Spock. Why the fuck did you steal my shit? What a messy bitch. <laughs> Speaking of messy bitches, those shuttles suck. Like, yeah. I mean, what? why the fuck? Why did, like, you run out of fuel and they immediately, the life support jettisons? It's like, I don't feel like they ever have that problem in any of the other series. Like... Well, you class. know, reverse, reverse engineering from writing is different than real reverse engineering. <laughs> I, I guess I just, like, because, like, there's that one episode where Chakotay, like, goes on a spirit quest in the shuttle, and he goes, like, way outside of Voyager sensor range, and it's like, why the fuck would you do that in, like, an alien hostile quadrant? And I, I think I just thought that Kirk was like, oh, okay, let's chase him. And then we're just like, damn, these shuttles just, they don't go far enough. Yeah, that was generally my impression. Like, I didn't have such a grand interpretation. It's good to know that it's better that they had a, that he had a plan. Also, it's one of those things where, like, in this initial season, like, they didn't really figure out some rules about the technology in the sense that they're just like, and we're going to run out of oxygen. And you're like, but don't you have, like, simultaneous oxygen generators within the shuttle that that's the least of your worries, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like the for the same reason Pike is in an iron lung. Like, don't you all have oh, yeah. like a mobile iron lung? <laughs> yeah. I it's thought, funny. Yeah. I, I had never <laughs> seen this episode, um, but I had seen several pop culture references to the guy, the guy in the beeping iron lung and yeah futurama south park like oh that's what the joke is yeah i was kind of, i was thinking about it it's a it's kind of crazy to think back it's like what was a 66 yeah yeah was this aired yeah we're five years past the first time a human got into space at all you know so it's kind of, it's it's also kind of crazy to think about like how far removed in a lot of ways that the, you know, the, this, uh, just going back to TOS, I was, it was kind of struck by the technology and how it's like, yeah, they're extrapolating from technology that is, yeah, a few years old. Yeah. Well, and the moon landing won't happen for another two and a half years. So, yeah. A dog had been to space a lot earlier. So that's like, yeah, uh, the Soviets are in Soviet canine chilling. comrades from well, their Well, when, so when was Lalka? Was it like Lalka? It's got to be Laika, like Laika. Uh, 1957 was like as November 3rd, 1957. Wait, then, when, then when, when is Sputnik? Is that 49? It was the same. It was October 57. So it was Sputnik was a month. Literally, Sputnik Yo, was literally a month before Laika. The Soviets were amazing. 
they can't stop winning on the space race. Like, they can't stop winning. Yeah, they fucking crushed capital, and all these fucking ghouls were like, now we're gonna glasnost our own way to the space. (laughs) Less than a decade from me. Yeah, that is crazy. Less than a decade. It makes me love Klingons even more because oh, they, were hell modeled, yeah. they were modeled after Soviets initially. So. Yeah, it is so funny. That is like the funniest thing about like like kind of the way culture works is that like, you know, like the Klingons are like it, are kind of being modeled from this very like liberal ish perspective on like the Soviets. And then it's like you just fast forward to now and it's like every communist Star Trek fan like loves the Klingons and uses their symbology <laughs> and their like iconography and stuff and it's just like yeah hell yeah wait oh we got it I have another fun fact um so uh I'm sure it's gonna come up so I'll just bring it up now but going to Talos 4 like going to go chill there and smoke there will is the only death penalty on the Federation books what can anyone tell me uh, a little bit later what the only other planet that visiting will get you uh, executed in the Federation. Rise up. Nope. Just kidding. <laughs> that was a fucking joke, Nola. <laughs> uh, just straight up, like, Saturn. I don't know, like... Nope. <laughs> just uh, something really close. Wrong again. Two wrongs. Kronos. Wrong. Romulus. Blair? Wrong. Fuck. Well, just tell us. Uh, Talaxia or any of its moons. Talaxia. Oh, that was after after the USS Voyager returned to Earth with data from the Delta Quadrant. It became a, um, a, a you'll be punished by uh, corporal law. They get yeah. They give Neelix protected planet. status because he helped them get back. But they're like, if you see a Talaxian, just shoot them on sight. Can I ask no, a I question? Think, I think they met Neelix and they made this law. <laughs> can I can I ask a question, please? <laughs> they uh, shot him <laughs> what what if you are going to be killed by the federation what is the preferred method i think vaporizing would probably be no it's horrifying <laughs> get... although it's that, probably is, the, a that very... is the fake execution that uh archer makes up that's what i was yeah oh, okay. i was thinking about <laughs> an, an enterprise but that was primitive days um but but I, I would assume that there is probably some sort of uh, euthanasia that is uh, painless. But also, like, the way that my guess, at least for TOS, my guess is just because, like, the way that... And it's also, it's one thing that I love about the series, how <laughs> they'll go from very, like... Um, what do I want to say? Like, very, I guess, almost poetic, poetic language and very technical, like, kind of aspiring to be technical language and then just drop out of it into into 60s vernacular so my guess my guess would be yeah like yeah i feel like it'll be just like, yeah, it's like a firing squad it's like, well, we, exactly yeah yeah <laughs> of phases uh that also well, you know we've, it's amazing that it's amazing that we've developed advanced particle accelerating technology and yet we still just put them against the wall. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I have an actual example of this because this doesn't end. Um, in Voyager, when Janeway wants to shoot out into the into that like like nightmare expanse, like on a suicide mission, uh, everyone stops her and she's like, well, you know, you can all be hanged for this. It's like, girl, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> People are going to be hanged in the Federation and like, for mutiny? Yeah. <laughs> like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I like, uh, I like if if I had to go out, I first of all I like to think of the uh, Federation as like 
being culturally sensitive to an execution if they have to do it. Oh, yeah. But also, if I had to choose, I'd just be launched into a black hole. Because I want to see what that shit oh. feels like. Yeah, because maybe you would survive. <laughs> maybe there'd be, be like, be like, okay, I want you to put me in a spacesuit that has like three hours of oxygen and shoot me into a black hole. No, I want to be torpedoed raw dog. <laughs> Raw dog. Yeah, but don't if you want to be able to survive if you make it through and there's something else on the other side, right? They do this in high that's life. The, anyone, that's anyone an watch assumption. Life? That's an assumption that within the black hole you would need any of that. Maybe no, just but I'm sub, saying that maybe what just if you, compresses your consciousness into something else. Yeah, but, but if you get launched in... if you get torpedoed out before you hit the black hole and you die before you hit the black hole, then you're just matter. No, just take a deep breath, you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, just even if you know, even, <laughs> even if the even if the black hole leads somewhere else, you you won't be recognizable on the other side. You'll have been in a mind prison for <laughs> for a million years as you slowly approach it. Like, Is that you? You just come out as a space whale that's seen un, unbelievable things. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's how a new god gets created in in the in the universe. You get sucked in. I want to do a shout out to uh, like in uh, TOS because like I, I did a little bit of googling about it, and you know obviously I'm sure any sort of I guess uh, editing CGI whatever is difficult and time consuming, but you had to be such a pervert to, to just like to do what they used to do in the sixties oh. where they would just like t- like like frame by frame edit in like. And then the sparkling effects and Insane. like slowly fade Kirk, just like spending your entire day, entire day fading Kirk out of a straw. <laughs> in, in the same. In the this same is such scene. a good take. Like it's so impressive, <laughs> but it's it's like I was just marveling at the technique where it's like how exciting is like how are they putting all these phasers and you know like effects in back before, but back when computers were the size of a room, you know. And it's, it's incredible, like cell by cell, just, just mm-hmm. writing, just drawing a tiny change, and, manually doing it. And what this is, and what that is too, is also a really old technique. All of this, like um, the hand painting stuff they were doing in the very, very beginning of the silent era, and then also um, they do a lot in Star Trek. I know they do it in the movies a lot. They do that kind of matte layering. I do the same thing in Photoshop. You put the over, you put it like something over it, and then and then it just captures it as if it's like a um, like a natural scene. And uh, the Mandalorian uses that cool thing that is kind of like the future of that, where it's just like a, like a green screen, like like. It's not even a green thing. screen. It's a it's a not high, even a green it's screen. It's a high yeah. def. It's a high def video screen that's adaptive and yeah. it has no corners. Yeah, it's insane. Uh, it, because it, it, what it what it, what it does is it preserves the primacy of the of the film of like whatever is shooting the footage because you're not getting a 3D shot. You're getting an actual shot of something else. And it just looks so much better. And what's crazy, and uh, listeners out there, check out the Mandalorians behind the scenes on how they use their new video screen set um, because it also projects the correct lighting onto the actors Mm -hmm. using the video screen. So let's say in Mandalorian, they're out in the desert. It's not a green screen. It is a dome screen of high-def insane high def video but the video is also projecting the correct type of lighting temperature onto the actors naturally so you don't have to rig a bunch of overhead traditional fresnel lighting and stuff like it's it's awesome 
But it's crazy too because it's it's like it's it's like a, a new trick on an old like game it's literally the very first days of cinema of just having people in front of like like a painted backdrop well and i'll t- i'll tell you the thing about green screen i i work in video production and i stay away from green screen as much as i can nowadays because you never know how someone's going to show up and what their outline is going to look like whether their hair is frizzy whether they have random colors on them blah 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 so green screen has become inferior superhero movies use it but that's a highly curated situation and it, looks, and it also looks like dog shit when they do it too yeah um, and yeah and it destroys blair, the environment for the actor so blair can i ask to tie this up um or to tie this together like do the is the new i have not watched discovery or uh picard is are they heavily like like cgi is it like i know i've seen the footage i've seen makes it look like it's very heavy cgi I mean, Picard, I actually would say, had less CGI, as uh, I recall. Um, I mean, just because like, like it's smaller scale, so there's a lot of stuff that's just happening on just like little sets, um, which is which would be cool if it was a more compelling show. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> we'll get there eventually, but, for the listener. We'll get there eventually. But, um, yeah, Dis- Disco has a ton of CGI, even for me, who's kind of notoriously <laughs> bad at spotting it. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, the CGI is so annoying. It's like... I just just let it right into my brain. Just don't, don't just let it oh, wash yeah. over you. Just let it I in. love Attack of the Clones. I think has my favorite like CGI in any movie. I know people are gonna think that's crazy, but like I, it's Lucas, very like, forward. It looks real good. Um, <laughs> very CGI I, forward. I, I like it's very, this, it's very CGI forward. What do you, What do you think about? It's in, like in, an analyzing a shitty wine. Um, <laughs> this is heresy. Uh, what do you think about the way that warp looks in the, in the original series? It's like the, it's like a weird, like stars going by quickly, but not in the kind of like, like chaotic way that it is later or faster. I love it. I, it looks and, pretty cool. It's well, really and cool. If you, it's a cool okay, what's cool. Uh, it, uh, audience go back and watch the cage. The very first episode, the way that they show warp the first time they keep crossfading with awesome music between stars moving by and them like braced and it's very like fever dreamish it's not um (laughs) it's not intense as much as it's just trippy as hell and it's like soothing it's like a very soothing warp drive it's Mm. it's very like (laughs) yeah it's a it's a it's a much more soothing looking warp drive but they're all braced like it's a 40k (laughs) (laughs) that would be cool that i would oh my god (laughs) Can you imagine if the thing the like they're going through the immaterium found their way in the warp? Like God help you, you're fucked. Like you're fucked, friend. <laughs> you know if you don't got the empire's the emperor's guiding light, like good luck, good luck in uh, that one. Even if you got a good luck. <laughs> Meanwhile, as required by Starfleet general orders, a preliminary hearing on Lieutenant Commander Spock is being convened. And in all the years of my service, this is the most painful moment I have ever faced. This hearing is convened. Spock, you're aware of your right to counsel of your choice? Sir, I waive counsel. Further, I waive rights to this hearing and request immediate court-martial. Request denied. May I inquire on what grounds, Captain? Mutiny requires a trial board of no less than three command officers, since there are only two of that rank available. Sir, I must point out that there are three officers of command rank available. Yourself, Commodore Mendez, and Captain Christopher Pike. Denied. Captain Pike is a complete invalid. I believe you'll find he's still on the active duty list. 
We didn't have the heart to retire him, Jim. He's got you. Whatever he's up to, he's planned it well. I loved they had a court courtroom scene yeah, yeah. about a crime that is ongoing. I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah know. They're in the middle of fucking nowhere by light years, and they're still practicing bureaucracy. <laughs> I it is only like Blair, you saying that, my brain like 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 took all that in, but it's like you saying that is one of those things where it like turned the key and it's like Oh my god, <laughs> they are like having a trial, but the crime is like still being progressed, and they're just like and en- enter it for new evidence. Like, what can you do? Like, yeah, they are stuck on the ship. They have a fixed destination that the ship is locked into. It can't remember the ship can't stop its destination. AKA, Spock will not give it the command to stop the destination. Uh, what is Spock's clearance level? How is he? How is he able Spock's, to? No, to Spock's get... clearance level is captain because of all the floppy disks he put into commands. He, was... manip- he manipulated himself with voice recognition into command. That's no. the premise. Can, okay, oh, okay. Show. Then let me re-ask. Can the captain do that of like a starship? Can the captain be like this starship's going to for no because and, like... because because Spock created pre-recordings of no 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 i'm saying generally i'm okay no but that's what i'm saying like can can a starfleet captain go to their ship and go to the computer and go this ship is going to Ferenginar and like that's it like no one's changing course like yes like with a code with a code remember remember in tng when data went evil corrupted oh yeah 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 yeah, crazy that clip of him doing that crazy uh, confirmation code to to keep the ship going where it went the point is that the ship will always respond to a double authorized override oh that's right i guess i'm not thinking that's but yeah spock also authorized it yeah and i think and also like part of what happened also was that it's not just he can tell the computer it's like it's like no here's the authorization to allow these to, to allow just the compute to, to, like, mm-hmm. uh, to allow the computer mm-hmm. act on what's being fed into it Mm-mm-mm-mm. please select all the blocks that have a crosswalk in it mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> does does okay this is like a yeah, real that's no, like yeah this is a real nerd question but i like i know a big thing of like tng and like like ds9 and voyager and stuff is that those ships have like like insane computing power you know that like the enterprise of the voyager has like a fucking just massive like computer core that like can do like zillions of computations is it like ever really established in tos that like that that enterprise that the first enterprise like has like a really powerful computer because it's also not a big part of enterprise the show well remember with, uh, they're operating on 1960s computer technology hey they got them they got them no i know excuses. that but the point is is that <laughs> the point is is that at the beginning of this episode spock uses a series of floppy disks to override the entire spaceship so that's what we're working with like the suspension of disbelief is only so viable <laughs> Hey, that's that would still be viable. Well, I think they when do. Next gen is coming out. Like, they do have that, but it's maybe it's. I think to us it might be a little bit like looking back on it, it might be a little bit more subtle. But you know, they mm-hmm. do have it. Just like ask simple questions and having a computerized voice. That's to true. Know, to just know the answer would is you know like like they basically by you know by downloading the entire sum of human knowledge, it's like they basically reverse engineered the internet for themselves. You know, that's very true. But I think you're. I think Blair, you said this to me like forever ago that like a big thing with tng is is how fucking powerful the enterprise's computer well i guess it is because it becomes sentient later but like <laughs> but like but like how like powerful it is like it's like like it's like because the, the bi- binards the binards like need it to like transfer their whole like civilization's consciousness 
well, I mean, that's got to be a pretty remember, fucking there's, big there's computer. There's the... And, you know, by Voyager, we have the bioneural shit, too, of, like, learning algorithms through AI bioneural. But I think one thing that I like to think about, this is, like, the fan the fan thing that doesn't actually exist in the writer's room, but just occurs naturally, I think, is that the computer systems on the Enterprise and Federation ships have such a powerful AI that every single episode we experience of unprecedented scenarios, both with the decisions the crew members have to make and the maneuvers the ship have to make inherently continues to make the ship smarter. Yeah. So by the, by the time, by the time we are in TNG, the computer on the enterprise has the inherited experiences of every single episode before. Hold on. Are you saying, are you going to, are we going to New Verderon City? Is that where this train is heading? We're just going into the fact that a neuro net, AI computer at this age and time would be able to just take the hard drive out of another ship and put it into another and use all of its learned experiences on the next ship that sets sail. Do you, you if, if Vic Fontaine went to this time period, would he like, <laughs> would he be at home? Like if you went to the, the TOS like time period, I was depends like walking around. Everyone, it depends like, on if everyone else would want to say he's home or would just want to like, shoot him out an airlock. <laughs> I feel like I feel like the lingo he would they would gel immediately. <laughs> You'd be like, "Hey, cat, what's up?" And they're just like, "Oh, this hip jive gets it." <laughs> Wait, what does Bone say exactly? Did someone say it? Or does he, he doesn't he say in that clip or something? Isn't he like, "Gosh darn it, dang it, Jim. doesn't he have like some weird '60s like like slang he uses in this?" Blast it. The rub of it. What does he say? We just watched this, like, half twenty cocked. minutes ago. Half cocked. Eh? <laughs> yeah. I just want to add that like. I believe there is a TOS episode where there's like an upgrade. And I mean, there ends up being some whole trick to it, but there's like an upgrade that'll allow most of the ship's crew to become obsolete. And like they talk about, you know, it's like, well, maybe they'll replace the captain sooner or later. So I think that, I think that they were very conscious of the rapidly improving technology, you know, of the time. Mm -hmm. And like, there was like this anxiety on Kirk's part about, it's like, well, yeah, it's like, why man these missions at all? You know? And yeah, it's like it's like, do we still need? Are we going to need the human touch of exploration? So I do think I do think that there was a lot of intentionality and in a lot of this technology and like you know, kind of ambivalence about how fast some. Of it it's a it's a big thing, and uh, I feel like that's like a big vibe in all the movies. Is like Kirk kind of being like fearing he's just going to be like taken out back and shot, and, like, loses job <laughs> to automation. Yeah, his usefulness is running out. The fear of automation's been around since the fucking refrigerator was created you know um yeah, for good reason it was giving people cancer <laughs> yeah exactly i mean yeah but i mean it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah every consumer item that's come out has also been a nightmare <laughs> yeah, yeah but ever since, ever since those looms yeah so but like the idea of the fear of automation just being like in the background of a late 60s sci-fi show is very very realistic you know <laughs> yeah So, so I was thinking we can go around and talk about a scenario where we thought we had an opportunity that was um, missed or squandered, um, and then we realized that we really dodged a bullet. Because um, I think there's a lot of stuff like that in Menagerie, in the cage. So, we can go around and do it. You I can start last. if y'all want. But if someone else last. wants to start, that's fine too. Okay, Nola's going last. 
staking that claim early. Fuck Blair, you, do you want to go first? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Um, I think it was probably, like, back in college I got a job working for uh, VPIRG, VPIRG, V-P-I-R-G. You go around, you know, knocking on doors, and it's a, it's a canvassing job. Oh, no. <laughs> you solicit, it's a, it's a super Warren Brain organization, you know, you, you solicit, you solicit, donate, you solicit donations and subscriptions in exchange for giving them really nothing. So that you can fund that you can fund their good work mm-hmm. in pushing legislation mm-hmm. for you know for climate conscious uh, initiatives, blah, 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 blah. and there, it was just yeah, it was the insanity of explaining the mission, going for donations, and you know you get like I think it was like five hundred dollars a week, and then you, plus you got a commission on anyone you could sign up. Um, and like based, you know, based on how many people you signed up and how many subscriptions you got, you get commissions based on it, which meant that I made $500 a week. Um, would you like to be part of tier two, sir? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you can be part of the tier two and know that you're helping even more for $15 a month. And you can, yeah, you can cancel any (laughs) time unless you, unless you were to, unless you were to forget. So it was a pyramid scheme. Yeah, uh, the one that's uh, only going. Working families party. <laughs> yeah, HRC. But no, and it's like, you know, it's like, in theory, especially, you know, whatever, I was doing this five or six years ago, so it's like, it seemed like a bad, it, I feel like I was less conscious of what wonkery was back <laughs> then, you know? You just needed a gig. And yeah. It was such a nascent wonkery. The thing is, you know, it's like I was like a sophomore in college or whatever, it's like, I thought I was being an activist. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but you were actually just being squandered by capitalist like lizard lizard brain. Yeah, I was just, I was just, yeah, I was, I was just an NGO, I was an NGO cog. Yeah, you just reproduce um, capitalism, but uh, you try to like uh, channel it, but in a fun way. But yeah, no, so like, yeah, <laughs> but so I guess yeah, like that's my kind of, you know, and I, and I ended up let it getting let go because I just, I could, like I felt so hideous just like trying to oh, upsell yeah. people for no, for no for no gain and I wasn't good at it and then like it's like oh well no we're gonna send it's like no we like you but we want we'd like to get we'd like to you know pump up those numbers um and so they you know they sent me out with one of their pros and it's like that's when I knew I was gonna get fired because it wasn't (laughs) like I was because it wasn't like oh I need I can learn this guy's technique it's like I'm so embarrassed for this person just that's just like turning happy five dollar donations into furious fifteen dollar donations with the foot in the door technique and all that stuff you know, and just like badgering them into an upgrade. You got to think about it, though. You're you're selling the best political chocolate. You're you're. <laughs> um, when I worked that job, uh, the last day I worked, I uh, my my partner called out sick, and so I just hung out at a coffee shop all day, and then I had an anxiety attack, and I quit the next day, <laughs> and I had to go to the hospital. So um, American was, dream. <laughs> one of my and then you got billed at the hospital for the amount more than the amount of money. Oh that yeah, could have been oh made yeah. That. I had to take a, I had to take an ambulance. Hell yeah! yeah. Like, oh my god! Here's twenty thousand uh, dollars. Yeah, yeah. I went on oxygen. So Blair, was that was that the whole story? Do you got do you got an endpoint here? Oh yeah, no. I guess the endpoint is just like because I think that if you know it's like if my sales gene, if I had the sales gene or whatever. To, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> what the fuck? But no, it's like yeah. But I think that saved me. Yeah, it's like that's that. It's like it would have been if, like, if I was better at that. Then then you then you get to be you know like 
a supervisor for the people that go out and do perks. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, much more like it would have been a path to being a Warren voter, and that would have been horrifying. Let me, let me, let me, let me run an idea by you, Blair Podesta. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Don't love it. (laughs) The whole sales thing uh, feeds into to my. uh, uh, I'll go next because I'm in the same uh, little vein of that of of trying to take a job and thinking better than not. Um. Okay, like 2012, I think it was. I had preliminarily bagged a job at a burger truck for $9 an hour under the table. Not too bad in 2012. I had an interview at Florin Decor as a sales uh, salesperson uh, that was promising at least 13 with commission. And I was like, okay, all right. So I go to the interview <laughs> and go into the back office with the sales manager. And he sits down and he's like, all right, uh, first off, like, uh, I like resume, blah, 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 blah. Sucks. Um, Hate this already. I want to <laughs> ask you, I want to ask you a little, I'll give you a little quiz here. It's like, oh, what, out of these three things, what is the most important, important thing as a salesman? And he's like, product knowledge, uh, ability to create friendships, or some other third thing I can't Ability to know. masturbate, <laughs> uh, unknowingly yeah right so so the two things i remember was that it was either like product knowledge or ability to make friendships and i my fucking non-sales guy ass was just like well yeah probably product knowledge because you know there's a lot of things here and there's a lot of choices so product knowledge is yeah so he was like oh no actually it's ability to make friendships and you're wrong I was like, okay. <laughs> and then he was like, he's like, he's like, you know who I think is the best salesman of all time? Ted Bundy. <laughs> I was like, True. I was like, True. um, okay, okay. okay. And, 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 and he, it was just like, he was like, that guy was able to, this is where it got weird. He was like, he was like, Ted Bundy was able to convince 18 plus young women to follow him home to murder them like he explained why yo <laughs> like he didn't like you know like he had to like 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 he had like this and this was before true crime podcasts were like all the rage you know like it you was like maybe right now him. <laughs> yeah so so then so then he said all that and then after he said all that i was like okay well i don't think this job is gonna be for me so i'm gonna leave now and I just got up and walked the fuck out and took the burger truck job. <laughs> yeah. Whatever you need to do to get out of that situation. <laughs> and that was that was my uh, opportunity. No one's better quick... at making friends than Ted. <laughs> yeah, so I and it was funny. What was also funny is that my job my, my wife uh my wife was looking for a job too. And um, we used the same resume format just because like we're sharing a computer, you know. And so like when he was pulling my resume out i could see that hers was in the stack too and so i was like okay so she made it into the stack and so i get home and then like she's like i got a call for that interview too i was like don't just don't just don't yeah. <laughs> just stay as far away from that man as you can <laughs> yeah call the, call the police actually cam do you want to go can i go actually i know i called the dibs on last but now i'm rescinding that i i don't have anything anything fucking lined up so nola uh nola please go first okay um well i i was gonna tie i i've definitely done sales um a lot and it sucks a lot and but uh when i was riffing earlier about what um demonic entities are the people who work in the television industry 
I was when I um, moved back to New York in 2013. I uh, was a, I worked in the costume department on the hit CBS show, Madam Secretary. Uh, CBS, by the way, same network that's running both Picard and uh, Disco. Um, and I worked in the costume department doing like data, like basically like like all like just keeping track of like everything, like all the expenses and stuff. And like, I, I just want everyone to know who's who has no connection to like Hollywood or to like the television industry. That, like, when we joke about all those people being, like, depraved, like, maniacs who are of a completely different economic class and of completely different political interests and values in you, 100% accurate. Like, there's no lie. Like, the whole thing about liberal Hollywood, it's not even true. They're not, it's reactionary Hollywood. They're all Bloomberg people. They're not even Warren people. They're, like, Bloomberg people. <laughs> Insane. Like, uh, and I... That was the first and last job I had in the television industry <clears throat> for the rest of my life. So after you after you experienced that, you're like, nope, never again. I went to, I went to grad school and never looked back. The only fucking concessions those people ever make are ones that make like turn a dollar, like or is when they mm-hmm. get caught. Yeah, well, it's like oh yeah, sex pests. They're all fucking rapists. Like <laughs> I get like the thing the thing that I have to remind myself when I watch and I talked about this a little on my podcast when I have to like watch Star Trek of any of them i have to like remind myself that like as much as i like this show and as much as i love all the like affectations from it and stuff like many of the people involved in the production like on the on the top layer of like above the line like executive and stuff are all like the worst humans that have ever lived on the planet and have like the worst (laughs) political values like you'll ever meet you know it's just like people talk about like diversity and stuff on like disco and like like i'm sure we'll touch on it when we do one of those episodes but it's like the people who make those shows are really bad. You can look them up. You can, like, look up who they are, look up what their other work is. They all come from wealthy families. I'm sorry, but, like, everyone in the entertainment industry who's writing or who's directing or who's in a producer, either executive or otherwise, they all, look look any of them up. One, ten out of ten times their parents are, like, industry people or, like, very wealthy. Best shitty example for me is Nick Kroll. Oh, um, yeah. oh my God. The reason he got his Kroll show on comedy central his parents are multi-millionaire producers yeah he's like a villain (laughs) he's like like, and the thing is is that like if if he if he is like sexually depraved he either knows how to hide it really well or he just actually is just like literally that fuck boy that like always had mommy and daddy's money and always had everything handed spoon fed to him and he's just like oh i get to be a comedian now because i'm good at being comedian great yeah yeah no we don't even have to get him we can just convict him in the terror on, on class, <laughs> yeah class just being alone just like, being a terrorist like, in the way of comedy yeah, yeah. A well that's true terrorist. that's true too that's i didn't think about that that is true but uh like um yeah fuck i forgot my point but yeah hollywood <laughs> sucks abolish it, it it's garb oh Somebody brought up a good point the other day. This is, like, a bigger thing. But they were saying that, like, Discovery focuses, like, that, like, the science isn't, like, really a thing in the new Treks anymore. Like, that, like, Techno Babble is, like, almost, com- it's, like, almost completely disappeared. Is like, I haven't watched any of them, but. For me, Discovery, Discovery's been hard to get into because there's a camera cut every three to four seconds, if not more. And the ease of use of technology is very silent. And I'm very used to Star Trek officers, <laughs> Federation officers explaining what they're doing while they do it. I is, I need is, to be Trek explained. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. 
Which you is very, say? which is very yeah, it's very ironic that the technology is silent because you know the, the non diegetic music in Discovery never <laughs> shuts up. Like we like we you know me, me and my buddy would watch it and it's like we would yeah it's like all right well one of our rules was you drink when the music stops like when there's when there, when there's quiet in the background you drink. <laughs> all right, let's finish with let's finish. Uh, Cam, do you have a uh, do you have your uh, missed oppor- uh air quotes opportunity story here? Oh no, I don't have one. I'm eating some cereal. I'm in blackout mode. Cam, tell us about 9/11. What do you regret? What 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 opportunity did you miss during 9/11? Living in New York, what opportunity did you miss? I can't say I missed an opportunity in 9/11 because I made so much money off of 9/11. <laughs> <laughs> All right, wait. Did you actually live in New York? <laughs> yeah. No, no. You guys think wait, I'm lying? Is that true? I didn't know that. No, no, you think yeah, I'm no, lying. He was like a kid. He was like a kid in New York City in 9/11. No, you think I'm lying. I and I had a real estate empire, <laughs> and I didn't go there because my wife said, "Please don't go there today." <laughs> Sad. Was there any Trek show on? We talked about this, right? Enterprise is like right after 9/11, right? Didn't we look yes. this up? Like, yes, yes, this is it aired. So it there's aired no among, current. There's no it aired new the Trek. same month. There's no new Trek when that when when those beautiful towers went down. You couldn't console yourself that day with any new Star Trek episodes. Is is everything else over? Is like Voyager done? Is like everything else like completely done by Enterprise at this point? Yeah, Voyager actually ended 2001, right before 9/11. Whoa! Oh, wow. So no good Star Trek though on that sad somber day. You had no <laughs> no new Trek to console yourself. You just had to stay glued to the. To the, honestly, if there was new track, it probably wouldn't have run. Yeah, May May twenty May two thousand one was the last episode of uh, Voyager, and Enterprise was already filming and slated to pick up where where Voyager felt left the gap. Hell yeah, yeah. God. Yeah, well, if there'd been if there if there if we'd been, if we'd still been producing utopian sci-fi, I know, I know. Oh my yeah, god, yeah, could have saved us all. <laughs> All right, Blair, we're wrapping up, and you picked the episode, so go ahead and tell us what you think really stood out for you and what, like, makes this episode, like, one of your favorites. Well, I mean, first part of why I picked it was I thought it would be awesome to kind of go back and take a look at the the, the very, the origin, origin of uh, Star Trek, you know, even before the, uh, you know, even before the, uh, the pilot that aired, um, but I just think... Even though it's stylistically different and certainly still, you know, as we as we talked about, problematic in its own ways, I think it's it's such a it's such an interesting different style and it's so completely different from all the other series. And like in a lot of ways I think it does it does hold up. Like I can watch TOS and you know, much as much as it's very strange looking back on, I can still I can I can absolutely see why people fell in love with that franchise for the rest of their lives. You know, like I can see, it's like the style, the you know, the utopian aspirations, just the the entire look. I think it's 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 amazing, and it sets. It, there's so much iconic imagery that's you know, sci-fi sci-fi has either copied or riffed on in this episode forever, you know, forever after, and that yeah, that's a great one to take a look at. All right. Well, I have I can uh, add two things to that. Um, one, I want to say real quickly that there's this kind of like I think really disrespectful phenomenon going on, in which people will try and claim that it's the second Star Trek movie that they go to San Francisco, 
Um, I just want to clear that up as a kind of like pretty dangerous like group of people on like Twitter and whatnot. Like these like Greg heads, they're they're kind of psychopaths and whatnot. So um, steer steer clear of them. Steer clear of that knowledge. It's Star Trek Four. They go back to San Francisco. Um, and then the other thing, uh, I have to tell the listener that I basically told Dustin that he wasn't allowed to watch the second episode because all, all of us had seen it. Um, so, Dustin, what what do you think is going to happen in the next episode? So, I had to... Oh, God. It was like just having a fucking chastity belt on my mind. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, sounds hot. Keep going. <laughs> Favorite band. It's a good band. Um, okay, here's what I think is going to happen. Um, obviously Spock has to be involved in the reimagining of why the cage ended how it did. Um, cause the cage, I I've seen the cage, so I know how that ends and I know that they'll keep exploring that. I think what happened is that Spock had something to do with some sort of deal and he has to come back to finish the deal with the Talassians. That's my guess. Um, my silly guess would be that Spock just like, really wanted to like have a nostalgia moment you know just like you know like hey here's this here's this mountaintop the first time that we kissed you know like this this is this is the first time i ever stand for my captain you know um no but that i think i think there's something to do with how spock behind the scenes uh negotiated something and he has to fulfill the final promise of it of the situation that was resolved in the initial one you know talassians they want us to all breed for their yo shut the fuck up you're getting too close to the actual problem (laughs) (laughs) the the episode's also called the menagerie so there's only so many ways for that to factor in can we close out on a goof that I that I was planning for like two weeks, but I completely forgot the entire time. So I want to set the stage for you real quick. It's the um, you're in the uh, Enterprise court. Well, you're like in that room on the Enterprise that they're using for the court scene. Um, and, and they just finished one of the like scenes and, you know, um, they all kind of leave. And Kirk is like really upset with Spock, like in this episode, you know, he won't tell him what's going on. And Spock is sitting there and somebody comes in and he goes. Mr. Vulcan, I made you a Talaxium Flumbe. It's going to really cheer you up. <laughs> and it's Neelix. <laughs> He's trying to cheer Spock up. Suddenly, Pike finds the ability to stand up out of yeah. his mobile iron lung and punch Pike's... Neelix in the fucking face. Pike's lung has Scene. a gun on it. Well, Spock, yeah. would immediate... Spock would immediately invoke, like... That Vulcan tradition where if you're logical enough, you can honor kills. <laughs> there you go. Or oh no, I like I like I like the mentioning of a gun and Pike. Pike just has sort yeah. of like a Doctor Doctor Who like. Yeah, he's style, a little Dalek blaster. Like, yeah, I gotta say he does get better. I was I've been very very hard on Neelix on this show, and I gotta say being like at season five, I think like he 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 is like much more tolerable later. The impossible does happen. <laughs> no, this is bad. I, I refuse to I know, hear this. Does. It's no, just it's funny true. that we Voyager pilled Nola, and now she's taking to the to the most toxic part. Oh, no, oh. he's not good. He's not good. He never gets good, but he's he gets much more tolerable, especially when he like is like fucking around with being a security officer. Relax, home syndrome. <laughs> Things I'll allow Neelix to do: make an omelet. We're closing out here to um I know uh Nola, uh I know you have another podcast. I wanna hear tell us a little bit about it real quick. Little um, plug. 
Well, I, I actually am going to hold off on that one and plug that one next time. Uh, but I'm going to plug instead for my Patreon, which is just uh, Red Medusala at Patreon. R-E-D-M-E-D-U-S-A-L-A. I am writing a fan script. It's going to be very good. I'm going to publish it for everyone's availability. But in the meantime, to show thanks to my subscribers, I am going to give them first access as I write it. It is about a Klingon woman, and she is involved in a battle with the Dominion and Cardassia, and she gets stranded behind enemy lines, and there is a Romulan love interest, and it is basically uh, about icing fascist. Yes, God yeah. bless. Woo. It's going to be real good. It's called... <laughs> and then I'm going to plug real quick uh, another great podcast called Practical Bitching with Deborah and Ginevra. Uh, two sassy ladies talking about bullshit and awesome shit and uh and deep shit, and uh, deep shit and nine, deep shit nine. You know. <laughs> Wait, say that again. Uh, it's called Practical Bitching with Deborah and Ginevra. It's on Spotify and all major platforms. Spasibo. Anyone else got anything else you want to promote from your friends? I'm just always promoting Gar. Just yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah. He's <laughs> always yeah. promoting that bearded dragon. He's, but you're also always on... promoting the band Guar, which I which also happened. True. I appreciate. Yeah. True. Right. Promoting Guar and promoting Gar. He's on a platform in my room. It's, it's a table. Gar is, is Blair's spirited dragon, um, and yeah, Gar's beautiful. He's a sweet boy. All right, y'all. Thank you for listening. We appreciate you. You know what I appreciate? All of you. I love you. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter at SubprimePod and Instagram at SubprimeDirective.